Joshua 24, 15. Joshua 24, 15 has kind of been the, the banner scripture throughout all of this from the beginning to the end. And it says, choose you this day who you will serve, the gods of your fathers or the Amorites. And it lists some people. And then it says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, this was interesting to me because I always thought it as more of like, because my dad used the scripture in this way. If we didn't feel like going to church or whatever like that. As for me and my house, we were, it was more of a demand. Like, you're going to do this. <laughs> but what I realized after last week with the sword of the spirit, if you were here, was it's really more of a declaration that he was using it how, here. And that's how I want us to think about this as we use this for this, this uh, rest of this morning is this is a declaration. Everybody say it together. Say, as for me, as for me. and my house, we will serve the Lord. Sorry, I put an extra pause in there. I confused you guys. We'll get all that down later. So, as for me and my house, this is a declaration that we're seeing here that he's using this thing called the sword of the spirit that we talked about last week. What I want to do before we dive into really the story and where we're headed this morning is kind of break down this armor one last time, just one final ride from the beginning to the end. So, all the last seven weeks, if you compiled all the messages together, they'd be about six hours. So everybody got your popcorn. The only person that didn't laugh is Justin and my wife, because they're like, is he really going to do that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> so these two armors, we have the armor of God, which is what Ephesians 6.10 talks about is the armor of God. And then we found that there's this reverse armor, which is the armor of, of man. And for every piece of the armor of God, there's a piece that man has created to try to put it. And the first session was all about the protector of the realm and how whoever sits on the throne is in charge of the direction and protection of the realm. And that's where that armor comes from. So if God be on the throne, then you get his armor. But if you say, I'm going to do it in my strength, then you've got to deal with it in your own armor, right? This is a big thing that we understood. So then we started breaking it all down. And one of the key things that we looked at was at the beginning of Ephesians 6.10. If you want to turn there, we're going to read this uh, portion together. We've been reading from the beginning to the end. So uh, hopefully everybody kind of has all that together in their head and they can remember what we're about to read. Maybe y'all can be quoting this by the end of this whole thing. Like you can just say, finally, my brother. Can y'all do it without looking? Do a pop quiz? Or is anybody alive real quick? Okay, here we go. It's, y'all are still there. <laughs> Too much paint and heat yesterday, JR. That's what it was, man. Too much. <laughs> Let's read this together. It says, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13 Therefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girded about with truth, belt of truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, breastplate of righteousness, 15, having your feet shod with the preparation of, of the gospel of peace. This is the shoes of peace that we talked about. Verse 16, and above all, taking the shield of faith. Everybody say shields up. Thank you. We're getting there. We're getting there wherein you'll be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then in verse 18 and on, it starts talking about praying with all supplication, but our focus was really on this armor. 
piece of it. A couple of words that we really defined at the beginning, if you recall, this was the word in. The word in was a really big word. It meant in relation of rest. It meant to be completely enclosed in a relation of rest with this thing. So be strong in a relation of rest of the Lord. Be strong and rest in the Lord. That was a big word that we defined. We also looked at how it talked about the whole armor. It was really important that we got every piece of this. You notice it says it two or three times. It doesn't just say put on some armor or grab something and protect yourself. It's not like you're looking around for something. It says put on every piece. Then we also looked at how every piece built upon the next piece. So I'm referring to all that just to kind of jog your memory here. Uh, And then the next piece we looked at was the word stand and how it's mentioned at least six or seven times right there at the beginning. You know, it says, and dunning all the sand, then stand. And then it starts off again, says, and then stand. It's like really trying to get it into our heads about this stance piece of things. And then the last part that we defined kind of at the beginning before we dove into each piece of the armor was the word wiles and the word devil. And the word wiles meant like an ambush, something you didn't even see coming. Who's ever been just completely blindsided by something that happened? That has happened to me a lot over the last 12 months. I have been so blindsided, you would think that I've learned to open my eyes to things. But sometimes we still get blindsided by something else, something an ambush. You didn't even know it was coming. You couldn't have been prepared for it if you wanted to. It was an ambush. That's what that word wiles there means. And then we talked about the word devil. And we always think it's like a personified little red demon running around and poking you with a little horns or something like that. And while there is a real enemy, there is a Satan, we're not debating that. This particular piece is saying it's an adversary, a slanderer, something that's, that's against you. That's what this means. That could be anything. And we talked later on about how the battlefield is up right up here mostly. The first thing we're battling is our own minds to take it into control. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I'll back up. I'll get there in just a minute. Sorry, when I get side, I didn't even have Red Bull this morning, guys. I was so excited about this, no Red Bull. I did have coffee, but it's not quite as bad as Red Bull, I don't think. Then verse 12 tells us something really important about this whole thing. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. And it goes on and talks about all this spiritual side of things. And we did this right here almost every week, and we're going to do it again. Turn to the neighbor beside you. And if you don't have someone beside you, just look at me and I'll say it to you. Look at somebody. There we go. You are not the enemy. Say it. Mike may have thought I was yesterday. Right over here. We got a good man, Mike and JR. They were helping us with the, with the, uh, with the letter. <laughs> and Mike says, you know, Dustin wasn't kidding. Jared will pick the hottest day of the year and say, let's go work outside. <laughs> And I did. Uh, it wasn't the hottest day of the year, but it was really hot. I mean, the paint was drying before we could, like, finish it. So, But why? You're not the enemy because this is a spiritual battle that we're in, which is why we need spiritual armor. These are just examples, not real life. You know, like, it's like animals were not harmed in the making of this movie or whatever like this. This is not to actually go swing at somebody. This is a spiritual battle, and there's not a person on this planet that is your enemy. I don't care what creed they come from, what nation they come from. I don't care what color of skin they have. I don't care what they believe. They are not your enemy. The scripture says that they are your brothers and sisters. They may not have the same relationship you have, but they are not your enemy. The enemy is something you're really more of your own enemy than they're ever your enemy. And then we have this real enemy, 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 enemy. But we have something else, this armor. So let's look at it. The belt of truth. We talked about the belt of truth. This one right here. Oh, my battery's dead, man. 
I put them in there because I lost the back of it, so I tried to duct tape them in as redneck, you know, your best redneck and eyes. But we used John 8 and 32 that talks about the truth will set you free. And we understood that when they put the belt on, they would pick up their robes and put the belt on, and it caused freedom so they could move around and do what they need to do. So the belt of truth was about the freedom that you have. It is not lies that, that combine, that, that just constrain you. I was doing that not as an effect. I forgot the word I was going to say. <laughs> but it constrains you. Lies do. You use those to protect yourself instead of being free and saying, it's all right, God's got this. Then we looked at the breastplate of righteousness. This was a huge one, guys. And we looked at 2 Corinthians um, 5, really in verse 20, 21. And 2 Corinthians talks to us about how we're made righteous. You can't do anything to achieve this. You're just made that way and created that way and that's what you do it protects your heart your heart is representative of the spirit itself it represents your breath which is what the word spirit means it means breath be breathed right so we talked about this breastplate there's nothing you could do you were created there then we talked about the shoes of peace y'all remember these shoes of peace right i do have a little breastplate here but it, it won't cover anything for me so we talked about shoes y'all remember these good old boots right here we had a big pile of shoes here, and we talked about how the right shoes for the right path, because shoes, you put on a good pair of shoes for the terrain you're about to walk on. These are my favorite because they're comfortable, but I've used them. You know, when you first got them, these are my newer boots. I've been wearing them like every day to work, and man, my feet would go numb. I would sit at my desk and just slip them off a little bit because they were so tight and constrained because I wasn't used to it yet. It took a lot of work to learn how to stay there, and with the Shoes of Peace, we learn the only work that we have to do. It is not by our works that we are, uh, that we are saved or any of this stuff. What did we learn? We learned that it, the only work we actually are given is the work to labor to enter into the rest. That right there is from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Now, then we talked about this one. Oh, this was the good one. Y'all remember this one. Shields up. Everybody say it. Shields up. Okay, there we go. I'm kind of tired from yesterday. We talked about the shield, and we understood why it was called the shield of faith and not the shield of righteousness or any of that is because faith is the thing that can be what? Conjoined to someone else. Remember we made the big old shield wall and they tried to push me off the stage? Yeah, I found out they were conspiring against me at that moment. But we talked about the shield and how it conjoins with someone else, and the shield is made up of this thing called hope, and we talked about how hope deferred makes the heart sick. And we don't need our spirit sick. We need hope and faith. And we defined faith like this. It's standing fully convinced that God has your best interest at heart. I'm going to say that again. Faith is simply standing fully convinced, standing here and saying, I'm fully convinced that God has my best interest at heart. No matter what it looks like. Helmet of salvation. I'm really trying not to go on tangents on each one of these guys. It's really, I have to focus. Focus, dude. The helmet of salvation. Remember the helmet. And we talked about how this has to control the mind. And we used, again, 2 Corinthians here. This one was in chapter 10, 3 and 5. We talked about how we have to take control of this, casting down every imagination that exalts itself. And what we discovered was that Thoughts run wild, and they exalt themselves. They raise themselves up. And I use the example of situation that I went through in my own life in which I created a complete reality that was not true. 
You ever heard the statement, oh, well, their perception is reality. It's their perception is their reality. That doesn't make it true. Because what? You have to have the belt of truth on. So you have to control this. This is the biggest battlefield that you ever have is your mind. And that's why salvation is of the mind. Because salvation means complete healing. If you are healed of something, is there anything missing, lacking, or broken? No. Complete healing. We understood that meant mind. That meant spirit. That meant physically. That meant every aspect of it. We have to shield our minds with salvation. That sounded really weird in my head. It was going, like, yeah, that was weird. Salvation. Then the last one was the sword of the Spirit, which was just last week. And we talked a lot about what the Spirit was. I am worthy. Okay. No one got that sword in the stone. Okay. We talked about the sword of the Spirit and how the sword of the Spirit, the Spirit is breath, and how basically this can be used in two ways, it can cut and divide things. It talks about in scripture about the bone from the marrow and separate things in our life. But notice who was doing the separating. It was the spirit, not us going to somebody else and say, hey, Mike, let me, let me fix this for you. Hey, Ron, let me help you out. How would Ron like it if I said, hey, man, he got in a, in, a, in a bad motorcycle. I think Ron's a good friend of mine over here. And I said, hey, Ron, I can totally fix your leg. Let me sew that sucker back up. No one in their right mind would say that. Why? I have not been skilled with that blade at all. But the Spirit of God is skilled, and he can come in and say, hey, let me work this out in you. But who's doing the working out? The Spirit. Not you, not someone else pointing it at you. It's the Spirit of God that does it in you. And then we found out that after it does that, and it goes in and separates it, it heals on its way out. That's where it's called the double-edged sword, like a surgeon's scalpel. It may cut, it may not feel the greatest, but the healing process begins because it puts things right which is what righteousness was, if you remember. It's right standing with God. Now, we also talked about how spirit is breath and how when it says the sword of the spirit, I'm going to try to get this back in here real quick. There we go. It says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we understood that this word here, word, meant spoken, not written like scripture, which is the word of God written down, but this one was talking about spoken word, and we talked about prayer and declaration, and what's the difference? Prayer is petitioning, asking, and declaration is saying, I already know what he said, now I'm going to call it and say it is here, I desire it, I want it, I need it, so I will call it and use your words, because words have power. We looked at that in Genesis. So, the armor of God. Does that get y'all all caught up? Y'all feel like, y'all like, man, why do I even go? I have to go to the other seven weeks. We can just be here one Sunday at the end. Don't take that practice, by the way. <laughs> but what? The armor of God is all about doing one key thing. Creating the right stance. It's all about putting you in the right stance for something really specific. The armor of God is to put you and say, okay, I've got some freedom so I can move around, so I can change my, my stance wherever I'm at. Now I've got this breastplate that sets on that truth, if you remember. It sets on that truth, and it protects my spirit, and it keeps me in this standing, the right standing, not the one over here where man wants to get me, where I've got to work to try to achieve it. It puts me over here in this stance because i got freedom. I can move around back and forth. 
because of the truth. Then I put on that breastplate that protects me and keeps me in the right standing with God. Then I learned that when, okay, I'm in the right standing with God. Okay, cool. Now I can put on the right shoes for the path I'm about to walk in my life because now I'm in the stance that I won't lose my balance as I'm some, I may stumble a little here or there, but I'll just slip on those other shoes there and I'll work on them and I'll make it comfortable. I'll learn how to work in peace. I'll learn how to not worry and stress because what? The belt gives me freedom to get in the stance. The breastplate keeps me in the right stance. The shoes make me stay the right path. Then I take up this shield that protects me from these ambushes and these things. And I say, hey, you know what? I'm getting blindsided right now. I need somebody else. What is that for? Everybody say shields up. Shields up. I get someone else with me. Now I'm in the right stance. I'm not going to be thrown to and fro because I've got that faith. I've got that hope. I've got people beside me catching my blind sides. Then what do I do? Put on that helmet. Keep these thoughts right because this is the standing I'm supposed to be in. It doesn't matter what people say and I didn't do the right thing and God's not going to talk to me today because I didn't sing right or because I didn't lift my hands enough or because I said a bad word earlier in the week or because I didn't even read my Bible this week. That's all man saying you're not good enough and God says, no, 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 just get the freedom. Get in the right stance. Protect those thoughts. Don't let them run wild. And then he says, and then you can take that, that sword, the only offensive weapon we have, to begin to what? Move forward and use it in the right way and let it divide and let it straighten us out. It's the one doing it. And you know what? When God really does it, it's a little uncomfortable at the beginning, but you're all the better off for it. You don't feel judged or condemned. You just feel convicted. Sometimes I feel convicted to, to do something nice for my wife. It's not because she said something or griped and complained. We've learned this. She gripes and complains more. Guess what I do? Less. I gripe and complain more. Guess what she does? Less. You ever tried that? You gripe to try to get someone to do what you want, and then they end up just doing less than they were even doing before because all you did was condemn them. That's man's armor over here, condemning. But God says, let me convict you, and let me make, put that desire in your heart so that you want to continue doing. That's how the Spirit divides. That's how the sword of the Spirit works. It's all, every piece of it is to put you in this stance right here. Why, though? To receive something. Our next series, by the way, is all the next piece of this because the armor is for the stance to receive the gifts of the Spirit. And that's what we're going to dive into in our next series, but that's not where we're going today. So there's your little teaser trailer. New series coming soon. All about the stance. Every bit of it. Now, I want to share a little story with you guys. Steph, who was just up here singing, she's a good friend of ours, she texted me um, on Thursday, wasn't it? Yes, it was Thursday. I had not spoke to Steph about what I was teaching at all, not one bit. She knew what you guys knew, that this is the wrap-up of it. She texted me and she said, I wish I had my phone, but it's off in la-la land. But she said, I really feel like we need to be focused in worship and singing about no matter what the circumstances are, that we will still praise, that we will still stand. She had no idea what was to come. And I thought it was so cool. I shared it with you yesterday. I was like, Seth, you have to know this. I, I've been waiting a couple days to tell you. But the whole message today is about this, this concept, the stance. What's the word we use? She even used it in her text, the circumstance. Who's ever heard the redneck definition of circumstance? It's the circle of your stance. Circumstance. The circle of your stance. So what happens if you're in a poor circumstance? You do what? Change the circle. Here's the circle. I don't like the red circle. I want to go to the white circle. What do you do? What do I have to do to walk there? 
I have to do something like this. And change my circle of my stance. Steph didn't even know I was talking about that, so I thought it was so cool that the Spirit was speaking to her that at the same time that I was studying. She was talking about singing it. I was talking about teaching it. That's how the Spirit works. It's amazing. But there's a key thing that I just had to do. I had to take this thing, the mind, where all of my gates are, and I had to shift them to a different focus. Then when I did that, I have to start moving. You know, if I didn't have that belt of truth on, I may would get all tripped up and think, I can't get there. There's no way I can get there. But when I say, I want that armor, I can put that on and say, I'm free to move. I'm free to get in this stance and change the circle of my stance. Everybody say circle. Stance. Circle stance. That's our new word of the day. Why is it so instrumental to change your circumstance? Because, y'all getting cracked up on that circumstance, huh? Because if your circumstance is here and you need your circumstance to be there, sounds, sounds like Steve Urkel, Urkel stance. I'm going to say circumstance now because now my head's going to go to Saved by the Bell every time. So, your circumstance, if you need to change it, you need the armor of God. It takes some work to do it. You know, if I sat here, I'm going to do it. Can we do it real quick? I'm going to do it. Okay. I need to get some shoes on. I need to get my helmet on. I can't see. And shield and oh, sword. It's going to be some work to get over there, largely because I can't see, but I'm going to do this. It's going to take some work to get there. I may look ridiculous to everyone else because this doesn't look normal. I hope you don't see someone walking down the street looking like this. And if I had my blingy belt buckle on too. I hope someone is not walking down the street looking like this. It looks ridiculous. It feels ridiculous. It takes work. It takes being willing to be looked at and said, that dude's crazy. And say, I'll change my stance though. Regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what it feels like, regardless of what I think is possible, if I say I'm willing to look ridiculous enough because God wants me here, I don't like this circumstance I'm in, I'll just say put on the whole armor of God. I'll stand in truth so I've got the freedom. I'll put the breastplate on so I know my standing. I'll put the shield up. I'll put my sword. I'll protect this. Ow, don't do that. I'll put this thing on. This is not a real helmet. It should not be used as such. And stand right here firm, fully convinced. Now, I'm not going to teach the rest of the time this way because this is very uncomfortable. But I will leave my comfortable shoes on. Why? It's all about the stance. Now, we're going to look at a story. That was a lot of words coming out of my mouth at one time. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, this is a story of David. If you've ever heard of King David, He's someone we talk about a lot. This is a story you may not have heard of him. But can I just set the scene real quick? If you need to close your eyes, close your eyes. David and all his men are traveling. They're out fighting battles. David was also known, by the way, people believe and still study military tactics that he used back in ancient times. He's considered to be one of the great minds of military history in that time frame. So this dude was used to battle. And he, if you read about him, he battled a lot. <laughs> and he was out battling with all of his men. 
And <clears throat> the Amalekites came, and they went to his home while he was gone. He's out doing his thing, his battle thing, kind of maybe like us, out at jobs and work. He's out doing his thing, you're out at work, and he comes home to find everyone's gone. The enemy had came while he was out doing his thing. The enemy had came and took every woman and child. They didn't kill any of them, they just took them into captivity and took them away and then burnt everything to the ground. Everything. When he came home. And this is in 1 Samuel 30, if you're wondering. I'm summarizing this story for sake of time. So it's 1 Samuel 30. But when, when David comes home, he finds, he says, where is my family? Where is my stuff? The whole, every, they took everything and burnt it to the ground. Some of you, that's how you feel in life sometimes. You come home from work and you say, where is the family that I had six months ago? Where is the relationship with my spouse that I had a year ago? And you come home and you find and say, it's all been captured. It's all been burnt to the ground. And something happens. All the people around David, he's the king, mind you. When they come home and they see this complete desolation, they say, it's David's fault. We were out battling. And they say, let's stone him. Let's kill the king that God appointed, by the way. Like, not, not long before this, if you read your story of David, they were all running around singing all kinds of songs about how, you know, Saul slays his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. They, I mean, he was the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour. Where's Bryce when I need him, man? David was their hero. Now, all of a sudden, they're ready to throw rocks at him till he's dead because everything was gone. Everything looks completely hopeless. If you remember, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And they looked and they said, well, we're going to get rid of this. This person who caused it, this king, he's about to die, y'all. I don't care if you're the king or not. Everybody's ticked at you. You're dying. He was the one who caused this in their minds. David does something so interesting in this moment. Before anything happens, it says this right here. It says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. Two things I want to point out. The word encouraged and the word himself. Who did the encouraging? He did. But what does encouraging mean? This blew my ever-loving mind, guys. You know what encouraged means? It means to fasten upon or to bind to. What do you do to armor? You fasten it on. You bind it to you. You strap it to you so it doesn't go anywhere. David was a brilliant man because he says, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want people to throw things at me. I don't want people to be, to be killing me because of this. He says, I'm going to go and put on my armor. I'm over here. This circumstance that I'm in right now sucks. Some of y'all are seeing reality of your Monday mornings, and I don't know where my family went. I don't know what happened, but I'm just going to put the armor on that God gave me, not my armor. See, David knew about armor, by the way. Because if you rewind and look, his first experience with armor was when he was going to fight Goliath. This is before David was king. This is before he's a little boy, give or take maybe 13, 14 years old. And he comes up and Saul tries to put his armor on him, man's armor. And, and David at that point said, no, no, this isn't wow, God. It's not proven for me. So I'm going to go in what I know because God showed me this way to do it. So I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to be in this stance to receive the gift. His gift happened to be a slingshot. He knew about armor. So when this one came up, he said, hey, hey, 
I'm not trying to do this. This circumstance, this circle of my stance here is no bueno por nada. It's not good. So I'm going over here. And I'm going to strap, I'm going to encourage myself. Everybody say myself. No one can do it for you. I can't do it for you. I can't cheerlead and yay, go team. Give me an A. I can do it all day long till I'm blue in the face, but unless you determine that I will strap on the armor that God gave me and I will change my stance and I will shift my focus, there's nothing anyone can do about it. People can encourage you a little bit. They can say, hey, here it is. Don't forget. Don't forget. My wife, I used to try to take lunch. I finally gave up. You want to know why? She encouraged me to take my own lunch, and she would say, don't forget, don't forget. She would put it in the thing, and I would always forget it. And I would go about my day and then realize I also have no money, and I would go hungry. Finally learned to do one of two things, bring money or food. Right? Other people can help a little bit, but it is your job and responsibility, nay, the privilege to say, I have this power to change my circumstance, to get out of the situation that I'm in. If I put the armor on that God gave me, I put myself in the stance, and I say, all right, I'm encouraged myself, God. And then it says he does something right here. We're not going to go into the details of this because this will be a whole other thing. But he says to the high priest right after this, he says, bring me the ephod. I'm going to share with you a brief history of what the ephod is. This is something that was in Jewish tradition. There's a little bit of speculation and debate that it could have been an item as well as like a garment, but it was for sure a garment if you read all the way in Exodus. If you look at Exodus chapter 25 all the way through 29 or 28, it actually gives you an extreme, a really great description of what the ephod was. This ephod was something that the high priest wore. Only the high priest wore, by the way. Only the priest wore this. The king did not wear this. So this would be awkward in and of itself, just so you know, that the king's saying, bring me the thing you're supposed to wear, because I'm going to wear it. This blew my mind, guys. I'm not going to go into the details of this, but I just kind of did a little bit of research on what the ephod and what it looked like, which it looks kind of weird in our day and age, but it had this sash that they would put on first. Then they had this breastplate. Not making this up. Go look it up. Read all those chapters in Exodus I just told you. Then it had this breastplate that they put on. They called it the breast piece. But plate, piece, what have you. They had this piece on. They had little things that they put around their feet, little bells for specific reasons. And if you look into that, it, it gets really interesting to me. Then on top of that, they would put this thing on their head. And this was so cool to me. Because the little turban-looking thing they put on their head had a piece of gold that was right here, and it was engraved. And I, I misspoke, JR. We were in the truck. And I thought it said, holy is the Lord, but I actually was looking and it says, holy to the Lord. The word holy is the word uh, hagios, I believe is how it's pronounced. And it means dedicated or set apart. So he put that on, on their head and they said, this thing right here is dedicated and set apart to be thinking on these things. Are y'all getting this? This was the ephod. This is long before this whole armor of God thing was written. This is at least several hundred years before, if not closer to a thousand years before that Exodus happened. And then here they are writing this after Christ has passed, talking about the armor of God. This was huge to me. David, in the Old Testament, when he's in this situation, he says, I'm going to encourage myself. I'm going to fasten this armor. He didn't. Maybe he did know, but I seriously doubt he knew that this guy was going to write some scripture much later in history and call it the armor of God that you have to strap on 
on to yourself, but David said, I'm going to do it because I know that's how it works. I may not know all the pieces, but I know i got to strap myself to this stance. And then he says, bring me this ephod, something in the natural that he did to represent a spiritual motive that he had. And he put it on, and it says he does this. He inquired of the Lord. The word inquired there is almost the same word as prayed. He asked. He said, God, show me the path. I'm in the stance. I'm, I'm where I need to be. I got my armor on, but show me the stance because I don't want to be killed. That is not the circumstance I want to be in. Show me the way out. And he says, God, what do I do? And this is what God said. I want you to, if you need to write this down, write this down. God said, pursue and all will be recovered. He said, pursue and all will be recovered. So David's inquiring and asking God, and God simply responds with, pursue and everything will be recovered. Everything, the family, the, all of the, the goods, all the items, everything will be recovered if you pursue. I want you to shift that to your spiritual life right now and say, everything that you feel is lost in your life right now, your relationships, your family, even the physical things, money, mental health, physical health, everything can be recovered if you pursue. Pursue what God has asked you to pursue. That's what the armor is, to get in that stance so you can get in that ready position to receive and pursue. So God says pursue, and David, he did something that's crazy. He did what God said. So he took off and said, all right, and he went to these people that are going to kill him. I imagine that motivational speech was real good. I mean, that would have made like top two TED Talks. I imagine he poured every ounce of encouragement he just built up himself in that armor and said, hey, everybody, don't kill me yet. God just said, we're going to go get it all back. And God promised that every bit of it can be fully recovered. And they say, all right, what have we got to lose? Sometimes you may be wondering why the downslope is happening in your life is because you still think you've got something to lose. We're going to about to see something. Just a minute. Sorry, I'm getting a little excited. Okay, here we go. So. David says, let's go. And they all say, let's go. And they take off. They're going. They run into a guy, an Egyptian that was a, a slave of the enemy. And they ask him, they said, why are you here? And he said, basically, I got sick. So my master left me here. And David says, show me where they went. And the guy says, wait, 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 wait. Only if you promise not to give me back to him. And David says, sure. So he shows them where they're at. But right before they leave, Something happens. He's had, got a group of about 6,000 is what scripture, or 600, sorry, is what scripture says. And it says 200 of them were too weary to go on. They couldn't continue on. It doesn't say they didn't want to. It just says they, they were too weary. And if you look at that, it literally means they couldn't do it. They've went so far. They've just been at battle. They've just, they're distraught. If you read it, it says that when they found this out, by the way, that they wept and cried until they physically couldn't do it anymore. And then David says, Mount up, get suit up, get your shields on, get your everything on, because we're going to find them. So a couple hundred of them, they couldn't make it. They couldn't do it. And David told them, said, just stay here. Be our backup. Stay here at this brook, and we'll go. And 400 of them go. They show it, and it says they fought them for over a day. It says they started in the night hours and all the way into the next night fighting. It says when the whole battle was said and done, that they saw all their wives and their kids and everything, and all their stuff, and not a single one was killed. That's a rarity, guys. I don't know if you know, like in battle, they typically just kind of, you're burning a city to the ground. You don't tend to care about all the stuff or the people in it. But they didn't. They captured them all. I don't know why they chose to do it that way, but God did. And they captured it all, and it says when they finished, 
everything was there. It says they were all overcome with joy, and they get their, they get their wives and their kids and their junk, and they get ready to go back, and they get to the brook. And before they get to the brook, or right as they're getting to the brook, Scripture doesn't exactly say when it happened, but as they're approaching these 200 that couldn't do it anymore, some of the other guys decided to say, hey, they didn't go fight with us. They shouldn't get all their stuff back. Just their wives and kids. We keep everything else. And again, David did something. His wisdom here was quite key. Because he looked at them and, and said, again, this is the jared thompson translation here but he said no they were too weary that doesn't mean they don't get to take part he said none of this was yours to begin with god gave us every bit of this god gave us the families that we have god gave us the stuff we've acquired god gave us every bit of this it's not yours to claim that's why by the way we believe in tithes and offerings and all this because we say well it's god's to begin with he's really not taking anything from it It was already his i'm just offering it back to him. And David understood that and said, no, 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 no. None of this was yours. Every man gets back everything that was his, regardless. And then it says David made it an ordinance in the land, and to this day it would still stand. If they had a battle like that, everybody gets anything that was lost, no matter if you participated in it or not. Now you say, that's a great story, Jared. Help me understand all this. Well, I preached done past these notes. i got to flip over real quick. Hang on. Sorry, guys. <laughs> They recovered it all. And the big key portion here is to understand is that's what man will try to do. Man will try to say to you, well, you didn't help us with that A yesterday on that trailer. So you don't deserve all the, the glory and the praise for doing that. You're just a minor part of the church. Man's mind is not protected by the salvation, and we're standing over in this circumstance pointing fingers and getting ready to stone people again. Not understanding it all belonged to God in the first place, and it is our responsibility and privilege to help our brothers and sisters that were too weary, too weary to carry on. Maybe they needed some encouragement to go back and get them and say, come on, come with me, because you're not going to want to miss what's about to happen right here. God's about to do something that we don't even know yet, but you don't want to miss it, so come on, keep going with me. Man says, well, you didn't participate, so I'll give you back your family. That's it. No, that's not God. That's not his way of doing things. That's not his kingdom. He says, come on, let's go together. That's the importance. You want to know what the end game of the enemy is? It's to separate you from family. That is the number one thing. That is why we started with Joshua 24, 15 and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A declaration, your house can be your immediate family, right? Your, your daughters, your sons, your spouse. It could even be cousins. It could be aunts, uncles. It could be anything. That's your family. Yes, in the natural, but you have a whole other family too. You have two. You have your natural family and your spiritual family. And the enemy knows that all it's got to do is plant a seed and let that thing start growing. Because if you're not in the armor of God, it'll separate you. You're easy pickings. A predator does what? Picks off the weakest one out in the end. So all I got to do is separate you from one or the other because then after that, it's a domino effect. If I can get something going on in your natural family that you don't know how to deal with because you're in this circumstance over here and not over there, all I got to do is do that and it starts to separate. Not the kind that the Spirit does, a different kind of separation. And then you say, well, something's going on in my family. So I don't want to face all that church family. So then you separate yourself again. 
That is the number one attack of the enemy. Look at our world. Families are under attack in the natural hundredfold from anything else. You think that that is just a coincidence? A coinkadink, so we would say? No. This is an all-out assault. Because all we've got to do is separate you from others, you from your church family, and now the shields aren't up. We've got gaps in it spiritually, but then you've got gaps in it naturally. And then you're looking around at your family saying, I'm over here. I came back from battle. Where did my family go? The one that I thought I would have. Where did all of my stuff go? The thought I thought God had a great life plan for me. Where did it all go? And you begin to separate and cut ties with it. And cut ties with it. That's the number one attack of the enemy. That's their end game. And guess what? A lot of it, the enemy just started it maybe. And because we forgot a little piece of the armor here, our minds took off and ran. And then because we didn't have that, we started thinking, well, if I don't have that, I'm not good enough. And we start to take off and we move over here to a different circumstance that was never intended for us. And all we had to do is keep the armor on the whole time. That's the end game. That's the game that's being played. And all we've got to do is put the right armor on because in that creates the stance to receive the things we need for the battles that's to come. I'm losing my voice, guys. I'm sorry. That's what David did. David understood, I need the armor. And he took it a step further and did something in the natural to represent something in the spiritual so he would stand fully convinced. No matter what came my way. I've never been in that situation. I've been in some rough things in life, but I've never came home one day and wondered, where did my family go? My house has burnt down, and I don't know where my car went. Somehow I pulled it up here, and then it's gone as soon as I got here. Put yourself in that situation, and to imagine that his first response is not to say, call the police, figure it out. He says, no, I'm just going to God. God, what do you've got for me? We should pray for that kind of faith and, and understanding because that attack against your family, your natural one and your spiritual one, it's going to keep coming, but don't let the thoughts run wild. Put the whole armor of God on every piece. Stand in peace. Stay in truth so you're free to change your circumstance as you need it. Put the breastplate on. Understand there's nothing you could do. Stay with it. Shields up. Get the sword out and say, divide these things so I keep my mind fixed on what God's plan and what he has.